Hello, just a quick note from Carrie here before we begin. This episode contains discussion of suicidal thoughts and suicide, so this is a trigger warning. Please exercise listener discretion, and if this episode isn't for you for any reason, or if you are listening with children, please skip it. We've got some great new episodes coming out soon. If you are struggling with suicidal thoughts, please seek assistance. You are worthy and deserving of help, and help is out there, even though it is often very difficult to find. Feel free to email hypermobilityhappyhour at gmail.com, and we can try to help you to find a patient advocate or just chat and help you find a support group or other resources. But this email address is not actively monitored and is not for emergency situations. Thanks. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hypermobility Happy Hour, the first podcast exclusively dedicated to discussing hypermobility conditions, including hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. On this podcast, we like to look at what can be done to treat hypermobility and how to improve our lives given our circumstances. Today, our guest is a fascinating patient advocate who has recently participated in a documentary called Bend or Break, which documents his patient experience with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Mitch Marteau started his blog, Bend or Break, in 2010 to document his struggle with the condition, and filmmakers used his blog to write and produce a documentary about Mitch's experience, which will be released very soon. More details to follow. Two filmmakers approached Mitch to tell his story because, quote, we come from a country, India, where the population is over 1 billion, and we were not aware of this issue. That gave us an incentive to think there must also be many people in Canada who are also not aware. Karan Sharma, one of the filmmakers, said. He continued, quote, people should know about this. Mitch was recently interviewed in Canada's POV magazine, the country's premier publication about documentaries in print and online. We'll include a link to the article in the episode notes for this episode. Mitch has also given a TEDx talk on his experience with EDS, and we'll include a link to that as well. Mitch was diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos in 2014 after a traumatic five-year battle to receive a proper diagnosis. Mitch, hello, and welcome to the Hypermobility Happy Hour podcast. Hello, thank you very much for ha- having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely, it's so great to speak with you. Um, let's start from the beginning. Um, how did you first um, start developing your symptoms, and when were you first introduced to the concept of Ehlers-Danlos, and, and what was that experience like for you? The only real chronic pain I had to speak of before the age of 14 was from persistent hernias, they were amazed that my hernias kept recurring. And so they had to stitch it up in the adult manner using mesh and such. And since I hadn't even had my growth spurt yet, having all that scar tissue when the muscles are going to be stretching just a few years later, uh, it was quite painful, but it wasn't like constant chronic pain that would develop later on. And it developed later on in 2009 during the swine flu pandemic that uh, this pandemic is largely eclipsed for many people, but that'll never be the case for me because I had swine flu. I was very, very sick for three weeks. I'd always gotten way too sick compared to, say, my classmates and would often have to miss school to the point where a a teacher pulled me aside at one point to ask me if I kept missing school because I was being abused at school or something, and that was not the case. But having a cold even would... uh, be like I had the flu, essentially. So when I had the actual flu, the H1N1 influenza swine flu, it was uh, a whole nother level, nothing I'd experienced before. So I got all these flu, typical flu pains, 
is just in my legs. They never went away uh, to this day. And it's been constant pain that many zebras have since then. Um, then, then plenty more symptoms started arising. It took a very long time to figure out what was going on. As many have experienced, there was a series of misdiagnoses. Uh, like first they thought it was post-viral neuralgia and everything. And we kept doing tests like nerve conduction studies and they were all negative. And so we were still searching for answers. Why, why are you still in pain when you're clearly no longer have the virus? And uh, it took many years of searching to eventually figure out that EDS was the true answer for that. I, of course, was born with EDS, but as many I've heard, uh, the, their symptoms and chronic pain got a lot worse with some sort of incident. Sometimes it's childbirth or sometimes it's a major virus or bacteria infection. And so it wasn't until the age of 14 that I truly knew what it meant to have a chronic illness. Absolutely. And that's, um, it's such a, a tragic story that you had to experience all of that. And um, my understanding, it was quite a struggle for you to get to the, the determination of EDS. Um, and it's striking to me because, you know, we hear a lot in the community about instances of bias in medicine resulting in women being diagnosed later with this condition. Um, but paradoxically, or, or I don't know, maybe even consistently, there seems to be a strange phenomenon where for men, it's not even on the radar at all. Um, I guess, do you have thoughts on whether doctors looked at you and perceived you a certain way or, you know, or like th how the medical system is structured in Canada where you live? Like, do you have thoughts on why it took so long to get to a right answer for your suffering? Well, back in 2009, EDS was on e even fewer doctor's radars than it is today. And it, has taken other people so much more longer than me, but I wouldn't find it so surprising because I have a very privileged advantage of having multiple doctors in the immediate family. And so they can kind of weigh in and give you credibility with the doctors who are trying to diagnose you when they know that you're not a faker and not a hypochondriac. And <laughs> funnily enough, doctors would still not understand the level of difficulty the EDS was causing, even with the family doctors vouching for me. So I can't imagine what it would have been like if um, I didn't have that. But even eventually, my own family were, it had its own disadvantage of them being doctors themselves too, because that made them a lot more inclined to believe the misdiagnoses eventually because all the medical tests were negative. And so based on the evidence they were seeing that they've been led to trust, they eventually didn't think I had a physical problem because that's what the doctors were at a certain point uh, of all the medical tests being negative started saying. Um, and so I don't blame them for that. They, they're, you know, trained to look for the 
evidence and that's what they did. And there was no evidence that I had a physical problem except my word until 2014. And sure, there were plenty of signs long before my chronic pain started. Of course, EDS is something you're born with. So when we'd play Foursquare out in the schoolyard, a ball would come towards me and I'd try to hit it and my fingers would just bend backwards rather than having any structure to them and the ball would just fly up in the air. And I'd insist I'm not terrible at this game. It's my fingers. And of course, no one believed me. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was the disbelief in many years later that (laughs) was far more upsetting, of course. Um, with the, there's a conversion disorder diagnosis eventually in, in the story. And that would mean that people weren't saying I was faking my pain. And because I just wasn't, people didn't perceive me in that manner. But they were just saying that the pain was psychosomatic. They weren't, they were saying it's there, it's real, but there's no physical source for it. And I knew that wasn't true because. If they're saying you're depressed and that's causing your pain and you didn't become depressed until you realized the pain was going away, then it, the, the series of events didn't fit there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't even think I was depressed because I would, to this day, some people would call me depressed, but I still disagree because my mood completely depends on how I physically feel. So I'll wake up, if I slept decently, in a totally fine mood. But then because of my pain, I'm awake 28 hours every day. And it gets, was even worse, actually. It's improved recently from 36 hours every day. And so the longer I'm awake, the worse my mood gets because the more uncomfortable I am. Mm -hmm. But that's not how depression really works. You don't wake up in a good mood and then Mm -hmm. gradually get more upset. Um, So it's not even that I was saying depression isn't causing my pain. I was arguing I was miserable, Mm -hmm. not clinically depressed. And um, even, even that was up for debate, but there was actually one doctor who agreed with me. Uh, He agreed that, I was not clinically depressed um, and for the same reasons I did. And unfortunately, he was drowned out uh, with the whole conversion disorder, psychosomatic pain narrative until later. That's awful. And I'm so sorry you went through that. And this is such a huge issue in the community right now. Unfortunately, there is a lot of literature and a lot of discussion around the um, psychiatric components, so to speak, of Ehlers-Danlos and focus on the psychiatric component. But I resonated so much with what you just said, which is like that uh, this experience is, quote unquote, not how depression works. Like you don't wake up, you know, feeling okay. And then as you become more tired and more pain, then you get into depression. I mean, that's like suggestive of a physical cause, which thankfully, you know, you were able to uncover. And, you know, and I, I think back on my own life, and there certainly have been periods where I would identify with being depressed for a, a period of time. 
Um, but even that I've been trying to tease out recently and trying to think about the difference between depression and grief. And, um, you know, I like, I, I, I like to point out, you know, do I have symptoms of anxiety and depression from time to time? Yes, absolutely. But how would anyone feel when their body and their joints are unstable and they're having trouble sleeping and they, you know, it, I don't know about you, but it's very, very difficult for me to sit on a hard chair, like to go out to a restaurant, like, um, you know, and then that impacts your social life. And so when you have all these things happening, how would you not be anxious or sad or, you know, to have a depressed mood under those circumstances? And I like to make the point, like, if I was like, oh, yay, this is great. I, I love my hip popping out six times a day and having to lie down to put the blood back in my head mm -hmm. when my neck becomes <laughs> unstable. Like that would be a mental illness in my mind. Like, being frustrated about being misunderstood and not getting proper health treatment for what you know to be a physical condition deep down, like, of course, that causes psychological distress, but that's not the end point or that shouldn't that shouldn't be the sole focus or as significant of a focus as it is in the world of EDS. Exactly. And um, the way it works, I find, is you can ask yourself, are there ever times where you don't want to do something and you're not sure, like you just don't have interest in things that would normally interest you and you aren't sure why? Mm -hmm. That's a very depression thing. Mm -hmm. But it just never seems to go that way with me, mm -hmm. where I get so excited mm -hmm. when I feel up to doing an activity um, and take the opportunity every single time. There's never a time where because of a way I'm mentally feeling, I have no interest in doing it. It's always what is my physical limitation in the moment. So yeah, there's a lot of ways you can try to figure out because it's not always easy to know um, and decide on a trend or pattern that you're experiencing. And so there are different ways you can look at it um, by a lot of introspection and it can take a long time to decide one way or the other. You can't decide from a single day. You have to look at a pattern, uh, over a long period of time. Absolutely. And I relate to that as well. There's so much that I want to do and, um, that I dream about doing, and then I'll undertake a task and, you know, get fatigued or pop a joint out of place and have a muscle spasm or whatever, and then be really discouraged that I can't physically complete the task or, you know, the dreaded brain fog that we all, um, or that many of us, a, a significant percentage of us experience, um, that takes us out of the game. And so I, I think you're right. And when you look at like the definition of, you know, major depressive disorder and these kind of things, like they really are talking about a, you know, a depressed mood over a significant period of time. Like I, I think what you're describing is called like anhedonia, like where you just don't have interest in doing things that you previously, you know, used to do. And so it's really important to tease out exactly what's going on. And that's why I think the lack of humility and just the, the hubris that happens in medicine of, you know, as much as we've learned, there's so much that 
is not disseminated among the people that need to know it. And as a result, you know, with fast paced, you know, healthcare trying to be as efficient as possible, lots of different factors at play, um, real significant um, physical conditions get written off in, in ways that are themselves psychologically damaging, like to be labeled with a conversion disorder, I'm sure was very painful. Definitely. And that's a major theme explored in the documentary. And in the documentary, it's, I think what makes it especially unique is my entire immediate family is interviewed, me, my three siblings, both my parents, everyone shares their perspective on what was happening at the time. And good intentions does not always lead to good outcomes. And it's a hard lesson to learn. Um, And patience is can run in short supply when you're frustrated with someone believing a doctor over you, even if they're a doctor yourself. Um, And I can't imagine what it must be like for people to have their pain uh, dismissed entirely, because at least for me, they were acknowledging I was in pain. Um, But the cause is what was in dispute. Absolutely. And that is such a refreshing take on the documentary. I'm so excited to see it. I'm so excited for it to come out because for so long, I've been looking for any depiction of EDS in media that speaks to me. And, um, there, like when it comes to documentaries, like Karina Sturm's documentary is amazing. We are visible. Um, but there hasn't been like something with a larger distribution that, you know, I can easily send a link, you know, to friends or family or people who might be wondering about my own situation or, or maybe, you know, people that have reached out through the podcast that, you know, want to learn more. Um, And so I'm so grateful for this um, depiction that we're going to be seeing soon. And particularly it's, it seems very, um, useful to have your whole family give their perspective because the, these situations and these tragedies that occur that they affect so many different people and they and they traumatize families in very complex ways and so I commend you for your bravery and your your curiosity and your willingness to share your story in the hopes that maybe others won't have to suffer through the same things that you have. Thank you and. The I think what the directors had in mind with the whole concept is that it's not a documentary meant to teach you about the specific medical details of how EDS works. It's focused on the impact it has on people and the, you know, general, you can look up EDS on Wikipedia and it'll basically tell you what you need to know in a very short amount of time if you're looking for just a general definition, but you can't Google easily uh, a genuine human impact of this kind of disease. You have to see it for yourself. You have to get the words directly from not just the zebra themselves, but those around them who are trying to help them, but don't always know how at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a very difficult position for a family to be in, especially like I mentioned, doctors uh, in the family because yeah, they don't know what role they should be taking necessarily. Should they be like detaching themselves 
from the situation and making sure that I look at it completely from an objective distanced manner or do they take what they know about the person and go against what they're being told from people who are even perhaps more trained than they are in uh, diagnosing these things. Absolutely. That's such a great point to make. And I'm so, like I said, just so grateful for this depiction of how EDS affects individuals that have it and then how it affects their loved ones and the people around them. And it just seems like such a great opportunity to open up conversations because so many of us have struggled to explain this condition to our friends and family. And um, like you said, like having a visual depiction that's, that's readily accessible um, just has so much more of an impact than, um, you know, reading text, even though there, there are some amazing narratives, you know, I read one recently, um, Ash Fisher's story of her uh, diagnosis. Um, there are some great tellings, um, but we, we need as you, know, we need this to be approached from as many different types of media as possible, because some kind of things speak to some people, some speak to other people, but um, a documentary is just a really powerful vehicle. Um, and yeah, so again, just kudos to you for, for agreeing to do this. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what the process was like of making this documentary while contending with your health issues at the same time? Sure. And the directors wanted to reach a wide audience. Um, it's a film that I think has something for everyone, not always the same exact thing for everyone, but something unique for everyone. For example, I was just mentioning how you can easily Google EDS and see all the uh, medical details, but the, the doctors can, can get that information from reliable sources very easily. Uh, just doctors want, wanting to learn more about the disease in general. But what I think is especially valuable to doctors, and it's not just what I think, because I've had several doctors who watched the film because it was released for uh, a week in December 2021 as part of the True Colors Film Festival, which is a film festival for documentaries about disabilities. And so 6,000 people were able to watch it in that short time span. And many of them were doctors because it was being distributed through UHN, which is University Health Network on, for Ontario's medical professionals. So I got direct messages from many doctors uh, saying how much they appreciated the opportunity to understand how EDS is affecting their patients so they can care for them better without, they can get the technical knowledge from Google. They can't get the human impact of what their patients are dealing with. Uh, and the pitfalls that the doctors need to avoid and making a, a bad situation worse. And so that's exactly what they said. And um, then there's the fact that it's going to be distributed to various high schools and universities uh, that have expressed interest when it's not even fully released for them yet. I know University of Guelph, which is what I, where I went to school, University of York is where I gave the TED Talk and I know um, they are going to be showing it to their class right after it launches in early, well, if it's launching on the last possible date, July 1st, then uh, it will be soon after. But 
it could launch before that. Uh, it's up to the directors. And so um, in, as soon as early August, the York University is going to be adding it to their class curriculum for certain classes. And Blythe High School is a high school here in Ontario that uh, I attended and were very accommodating for me. So I formed great connections with them um, after the previous school uh, was not so accommodating. We can put it that way. And so everyone I show the film to wants to feels feels a desire to spread it, uh, which is truly special. But to get back to your question, it was it was a hard process to make a quality film when it's not like some documentaries where you're talking about problems that are all in the past. Uh, it's it's not like EDS has gone away um, while we were making it. And so it took time. It, it, we started the, the, I gave the Ted talk at York where I met the directors. Basically they were in the audience of the Ted talk and they liked my speech about EDS so much. They approached me after asking if I'd be willing to work with them to create a film about my story. And so that, that was in 2018 the film isn't even fully out yet, right? So it, it was a long process and not an easy one, but the directors were, of course, as accommodating as they could possibly be. Um, they understood when I had to postpone uh, filming for certain parts of it and everything, and they couldn't have done a better job in that regard, but they they really went the extra mile because as you mentioned, I started writing a blog. Uh, it was in 2011. So really close to what you said, 2010. And I, there's like dozens and dozens of posts written since then of various sizes. And they read every single post since 2011 uh, to be able to get all the information they could ever want to decide what interview questions to ask me and my family. And so they really went on out um, because they were really passionate about this project. They didn't, you know, expect to get rich off it. They expected it to be an amazing experience, not just for who, those who watch it and find meaning in it, but for themselves uh, to grow, not just as filmmakers, but as people. And we remain in contact to this day. We actually, uh, I, I just filmed a little skit about EDS. I wrote that's kind of meant to be funny, but also share some hard truths. And they helped me edit it. And the idea is to release it when we have a solid date for um, the documentary. And I'll film one little clip mentioning the date, add it to the skit video, and then post the video as a kind of... Um, announcement, that entertaining announcement of finally revealing when people will be able to watch it because uh, I have a growing Instagram page with the name of the film, which is Bend or Break. And of, of course, that uh, name with double meaning, uh, why we, ch we chose that, uh, it's the name of my blog. So they made it the name of the film. And then it became the name of the Instagram page we made for the film. And now it's kind of been handed over to me as a general purpose EDS Instagram page. 
and it's it's been growing with more people. Uh, men, it, it had a a decent number of people follow immediately because they were the one one of among the six thousand in December who were able to watch it. But now it's grown so much further, and there's so many people following me who haven't seen the film yet and are eagerly, patiently uh, awaiting for it to be available for them. And so I only really started posting for that page in October, and we recently hit over 1,000 followers. So I don't even know if everyone following is even aware there is a film, uh, even though it's kind of like mentioned in the bio, because I often use the page to post funny EDS memes, but also little videos of medical updates of what's going on with me to have a real connection. It's not just a EDS meme page. There's plenty of those out there. Um, And I try to not just share, you know, memes because I make some of them, but not all of them. I find others online. And I, what I always do is post a caption that's completely original, always my own, uh, usually meant to be funny addition to the meme itself and um, to add my own personal touch to it if, it if it's not an original meme. And so I, I hope it's making connections with the people who are following the Instagram page rather than, um, you know, just being a meme robot producer. <laughs> yeah, it's such an inspiring story in so many ways um i'm so glad to hear that the filmmakers were so accommodating and that their goal was to tell an important human story with a a wide audience because i think that's really what we need um you know there's there is a lot of content for the community um but you know and i it's something i strategize and think about all the time how do we reach the world at large um and it's difficult. There's a lot of really important causes that deserve attention and it's, it's hard to, to break through. Um, and so, I mean, this project and what you're doing with the Instagram page and everything is just wonderful. And we'll include a link to your Instagram page in the episode notes, um, for people who want to check it out because it is, it, it is, it's a, it's a great tone. I think you do a really thoughtful job of presenting, um, you know, some factual information, um, some of your own personal experiences, some lighthearted moments, um, you know, love the memes. Um, and I think that's great because, uh, it, you, you know, you're really presenting a complete picture of what it's like to live with EDS as much as possible, you know, on something like social media is, it's hard to, um, you know, present an authentic story about anything really just given the format. But um, I think you've done really an outstanding job in doing that. Um, and I really, I commend you for your, your search to not only find meaning out of what's happened to you, but to connect with other people and have them feel less alone in this process as well. Yeah. And um, I try to appeal to different groups, not just the zebras themselves, in the sense that, for example, I took a course that was basically a course on the pandemic um, at Guelph and University. And so when I made a strong connection with 
professors, which was especially easy in this course because the assignments, uh, some of the, well, one of the many assignments was kind of reflecting on a different pandemic-related topic and a short essay each week. And so they would read kind of the difficulties of what it's like to have a chronic illness throughout such a widespread and um, damaging pandemic. And so because I made a connection through that, then I offered to show the professors the documentary, which they really enjoyed. And so they then went on to uh, ask me if I would be willing to give a presentation to the entire class of hundreds of students because it was an online class, um, given the this was during the height of the pandemic. And I did so, and it was basically just explaining that it's it's not an evenly distributed pandemic. Uh, Those with compromised immune systems, chronic illness, are going to have a very different experience. And it's hard on everyone. I'm not saying it isn't. But you need to really, well, I'm, I'm you as in the fellow students need to really make effort to reach out to their friends with compromised immune systems and chronic illness because they're going to feel more alone than ever, really. And there's a, there's a lot of, you know, problems with the way governments handle, um, you know, their response to the pandemic, for example. One thing that really uh, harmed me is the that they said therapy, even therapeutic treatment, deep tissue massages that I really, really depend on. And if you haven't tried that to treat uh, muscle pain as a EDS, or a, I can't recommend it enough if possible. I know it's not possible for everyone, but it's worth the shot. And even if um, it's not possible for a variety of re- potential reasons, I also, in emergencies when I can't actually get to a massage clinic, have like a, a powerful massage gun that I use on my legs because the legs are where I primarily have pain. But the government decided that they weren't an essential service and uh, said they had to close down along with most other businesses at the height of the pandemic. But to me, it just doesn't make any sense to have that strategy mm-hmm. because the whole uh, heavy handedness, which is often you know, sensible is at the end of the day meant to protect the vulnerable members of our society. Mm -hmm. And I feel that I rank among them. Mm -hmm. And so to ban something people depend on is not protective of those people because I actually became suicidal in March, 2020 because of how much pain I was in, given that I couldn't get my two most important treatments, which were ketamine infusions and deep tissue therapeutic massages. Uh, The pain level was like 9 out of 10 all the time for that entire month. Um, And I just had to drop out of school temporarily. And the pain was just incredible to the point where I was suicidal. So if they're trying to protect me by banning these things, 
then they're driving people to be suicidal. How does that make any logical sense? Uh, I understand that you have to choose what to what to ban and what not to, of course. But they should really consult the community that they're trying to protect more yes. when taking measures to protect that community. Absolutely, you would think, and maybe you can, you know, have it so that the. I'm sure there are, well, I'm sure, without going into, you know, different proposals, I'm sure there are a variety of ways you can make sure the people who depend on massages, not just like massages for simple relaxation, but are trying to treat an illness can happen um, in a very uh, safe environment or as safe as you can make it. Make sure people are wearing masks and all of that and limit the number of people in the clinic. So feel free to take precautions, mm -hmm. but don't, <laughs> don't just ban it forever. And they learned their lesson because I'm sure there was outcry from people such as ourselves, because when they did a, the next lockdown here in Ontario, they did have massage listed as an essential service because um, for, for many it is. And so I'm guessing uh, there was a large outcry um, from others, not just me. And I tried to explain these difficulties to my class. And the recording is, they did put the recording on YouTube. So it's, I could always link that to if people are interested in seeing kind of my little mini, could call it a mini TED talk on what it's like to survive as in a pandemic as someone who's already having chronic illness. Yeah, that's there's so many important points you just raised in there. And and thank you for mentioning that, because I completely agree. Um, you know, it, it obviously at the beginning of the pandemic, it was, you know, a very chaotic time. Nobody knew what was going on. Things were really rapidly shifting. Um, but as the months were on, um, it became clear that the the strictness of the reaction um, was in itself having very harmful consequences. And, you know, I'm so sorry to hear about the, the period you experienced in March, 2020, I can say from my own personal experience, um, spring and summer 2020 were an absolute, um, mental low point for me as well. Um, the isolation, the not being able to get, um, you know, the treatments that are usually available, it's hugely impactful and incredibly destabilizing to people's lives. And um, I just think it's phenomenal that you're out there able to advocate and, you know, you're so um, concise and impassioned and yet, um, you know, very clear headed and, um, and circumspect about these things. And, and so I, I just think it's so great that you're, you're doing what you're doing and raising awareness. And, um, and like you said, I think it's really important for people with, um, chronic conditions of all types to have a voice in, in decisions. And we're often, I mean, for so many reasons, um, there's marginalization of, of people with chronic health conditions and um, it, it's really unfortunate because, like you said, like 
obviously the, the pandemic has been, you know, difficult for everyone in their own way. But, you know, for people with reduced mobility and reliance on, you know, external sources like the massages, the ketamine treatments you mentioned, um, you know, it's it, it has been absolutely devastating for so many people. Um, and I really commend you for for pressing forward and for advocating and for, um, you know, doing what you can to help improve life for people with these conditions. Thanks. And I, I couldn't live with myself if I didn't do what I can to pretend, prevent other people from going through what I did. Um, just I'm in a unique position to be able to put the story out there. And I think uh, that's what I'm so excited for. The documentary's releases. It's uh, going to, I think, help a lot of people, even if it's indirectly, even if it's just educating um, doctors on how to better um, support those who need their support and are complex that were worth the trouble because with the proper support, it's amazing what we'll be able to accomplish. And I, I hope everyone can, can not just the doctors, but can see that you won't always get the proper support right from the outset, but that doesn't mean you won't later. And so even if you're just in survival mode at the time, that's not forever either. That's such an important point to make. And hopefully with increased awareness, like this project that you're doing, all of these projects that you're doing, um, that will be the case that people won't have to suffer in silence and their doctors, friends and family, um, community members at large will have a, just a better understanding. Um, and, and, and I like to make the point that a lot of the accommodations that are really critical for people with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome are potentially beneficial to anyone in society. You know, I, I hear from people who are, um, you know, were otherwise in pretty good health and they, you know, injured themselves, broke something or had to have a surgery. And they come to me and they say, oh, it's so impossible to, you know, get into a building. Like the stairs are so difficult and the parking and, you know, how do you do this? And it gives them a new appreciation for what, um, a lot of us have experienced. And um, I, I think having a more accessible society and a more understanding society um, really, you know, promotes, like you said, our ability to to flourish and, and, and you know, ex express what we have to give to the world. Um, but it has the potential to benefit and make society just a much a more accessible and um, considerate place, hopefully. Yeah, it's a slow process, but baby steps are better than going, you know, stalling completely. Absolutely. And I think, I think it's more difficult and it's hard to be optimistic because I find that the pandemic has slowed so many important processes down but we're we're starting 
to find ways around the difficulties that the pandemic presents in research and so many things and so that there is hope um, for those who have really been, you know, pushed aside since the beginning of this pandemic because everyone's starting to feel like they have their own problems mm -hmm. to deal with. Mm -hmm. But I think it was a, a, a good a good spurring to for us to band together and support each other more than ever because it was originally it was kind of not known how long this was going to last and so when we realized we're in it for the long haul we realized that we're not gonna make it out of this in one piece alone and although families definitely are hopefully going to be supportive and they aren't always for everyone and there can be arguments over you know what what how how to keep the most vulnerable members of the family safe sometimes and things like that but there's always going to be a, a community of us zebras that understand exactly how the pandemic is making us feel and so that's why and i kind of got the idea midway through the pandemic to create a community not just where we're talking about our eds and pandemic related issues but where we can have a good time together in the sense that my disability has made me really into the join the gaming community i used to be very very sporty and then um i tr i try to stay fit and exercise when i have the energy for it focused on the upper body since i like pain is so bad but it was an amazing tool, the gaming community, to kind of band together and have a supportive but also fun environment to get rid of some of the social isolation that is inevitable for those with compromised immune systems. Um, and it can be quite creative and mentally stimulating activity. And so I created various groups for zebra gamers or those interested in becoming zebra gamers and also created a Twitch streaming channel for that many who watched the documentary in December uh, heard about and joined. And it's just awesome to be able to have a good time. And sure, we're going to vent about what's going on lately with each other but we're also just going to become a lot more comfortable with each other because we're having fun in one moment and then can get serious and vent for the next moment. And everyone's going to be very understanding and you don't feel like you have to uh, basically put on your mask that everything is going perfectly fine and like you sometimes feel pressured to do normally 
So it's been quite exciting to just find different, you know, personalities that are always going to be so different, but can very much complement each other when you share so many experiences. Um, and I hope that community continues to grow. Definitely. Because yeah, we'll include a link um, to your Twitch stream page with the episode notes too, because, and I'm so glad you mentioned this because this is one of my favorite projects of yours. I think it's so great to create um, spaces for EDSers, like you said, to come together, to have fun together, to just be um, as we are and to allow that mask down that we, like you, uh, you described it exactly right. We often, many of us feel the need to, you know, put on a happy face and we think, you know, other people don't really want to hear, you know, negative things or they don't want to hear about suffering. So we have a tendency to minimize our experience because we don't want to cause distress to other people, but we pay an internal cost for that. And, and it's very painful to not be able to be fully honest about things that are happening, that are stressful, that are scary. And so I just think it's so awesome that you've created this gaming community that um, is a way for people with limited mobility to, um, you know, get in a bit of, of movement, get in a bit of socialization, and still have that community of people that that get it in, in a really deep way. And so I, I, I commend you for just all the creative ways that you've come up with to, you know, find meaning, find connection. And, and again, going back to what we talked about earlier, to me, these things that you've done, these projects that you've worked on, these initiatives, this is kind of the opposite of what depression is. Like you're, you're looking for meaning, you're looking for hope, you're trying to do what you can given your circumstances. And um, yeah, it's, it's just, I I, I hope for a day when um, a bigger subset of society, and at least hopefully those loved ones and friends around EDSers um, have a better understanding. And I feel more hope that that is possible um, due to efforts like yours. So thank you for her, all you've done. It's, it's really, it's amazing. And thank you, you know, this podcast and we were discussing some of your other projects right before we went live and everything. Uh, it's honored. I'm honored that someone who's such a leader in the community was interested in hearing more about my own story. Oh, thanks. No, absolutely. I am. I've been um, just in kind of thrall of your story since reading that um, article in the Canada um, POV magazine. And um, I just, I'm so excited for, for this future. And I think us working together is also such an important thing um, because it, it, it can be difficult, especially on social media, the community um, can be fractured in a lot of ways. And, and there are, a lot of different and valid perspectives on what EDS is, what's the best way to treat it and approach it. Um, but unfortunately that sometimes manifests in um, us getting kind of, you know, our people in the community getting into um, disputes or, or arguments or just, you know, not seeing things the right way and so, or, or not seeing things in the same way. And so, um, 
you know, I, I think it's it's so great to, to focus on, you know, what can we do to build these communities and what can we do to advance the cause forward in a, in a constructive way. And so I, I look forward to um, working with you further. I'm so excited for this documentary to come out. Um, I'm like already thinking of all the people I'm going to send it to. Um, and I think it, it's, it just, I mean, it's already done a great amount of good. I mean, it's so amazing that those doctors reached out to you and connected even from that limited release. And that gives me hope that, um, there are doctors out there who, um, you know, they, if, if they hear the information in the right way, you know, they see it, you know, spoken from someone who can be as honest about as difficult of topics as you've been, which is not easy at all. Um, you know, every every little bit helps to kind of chip away at the misperceptions and and the confusion and the lack of understanding. And so, um, yeah, I I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm knocking on wood here, um, but um, yeah, there's certain. It feels like there's been a bit of a sea change in the community in the past few years. And I, I think you're right. The pandemic has, in some ways, you know, kind of compelled us to to get together and and you know, realize how precious time is and um, how if, if we want, you know, the next generation coming up to not have to go through the absolutely horrific experiences that so many of us have, um, you know, we have to we have to start getting creative and thinking outside the box. And and luckily, I think that's one of our strong suits as zebras and EDSers. Definitely. Uh, it's an important strength to have the strength to put yourself out there and try to connect with people because uh, it's hard to know how they will react but the first time is always going to be the hardest time and then um, when you see reap the rewards of forming those connections with those who are most likely to understand exactly what you mean and not you know interpret it in a manner that you didn't intend and things mm -hmm. like that uh, it, it just as a comforting thing to remember you're not alone definitely absolutely it's so important and that is a big part of our experience is that feeling alone or feeling out of place or feeling like we don't have the same capabilities of people around us which is it, itself a form of feeling alone and yet there are so many of us with EDS out there. Um, and, um, yeah, I think there's strength in numbers and I think we're starting to see that. And, um, but that being said, like, it, you know, it, it's tremendously courageous to, to wade into these issues and, um, and, and so great for your family to be able to go there too. Um, because I think so many people will be able to learn from these experiences and you found a way to take something profoundly traumatizing and profoundly painful and to turn it into a motivator and a source of meaning and good. And it reminds me of how much in our culture we focus, there's so much conversation about post-traumatic stress disorder, which is important. And so many of us have experienced it and it's a key component of EDS. But what often does not get discussed is post-traumatic growth. And post-traumatic growth is also a phenomenon and, um, it, and, and you seem to be exhibiting it, um, you know, in a, in a really wonderful way. And so I, I'm just, I, I'm glad that there is, 
um, that, you know, you're creating these depictions in these communities um, that, that speak to me. And I'm, I, I'm definitely behind when it comes to gaming, but I'm tempted to learn how to game just because it sounds so fun to hang out with a bunch of EDSers and just be able to kick back and, and know you're among friends. Exactly. And even for those who, for whatever reason, don't feel comfortable getting into the gaming scene or, or just are in the gaming scene, but are having, you know, a, a low day and don't have the energy to, uh, you know, be on the mic talking um, about how things are going, because maybe you're feeling a bit down either physically or mentally, then that's why there's also the sh- Twitch stream is you, you don't need to be a gamer to just enjoy and rather than having to like uh, use up half your spoons by um, v- verbal communication, uh, Twitch followers are able to write to me as I'm, you know, streaming a game and I'll immediately respond um, through my own mic to whatever they feel like talking about. You know, I'm up for any discussion when doing those and try to be entertaining with it myself, of course. And, so it, I feel like it's uh, either way, there is a community for anyone out there who's looking to make more connections. Absolutely. And that's, again, what we talked about earlier. It's such a great testament to the importance of accessibility and having resources and communities that are um, you know, able to be accessed in the variety of ways that different EDSers are able to, and some individuals might have, not might, definitely have different ranges of capability, even depending on the day. And so I think having that variety of options, you know, for social engagement, for movement, for, um, for just being with people that get it, um, you know, having that variety is, is really great and is, is definitely one of the upsides of technology um, during this pandemic. You know, we hear a lot about the downsides of social media and, and being online, and there certainly are many, but um, you've really created, um, you know, an incredibly um, powerful and, and useful and just fun um, space. And, um, I can't wait to see what the future holds. I'm I'm getting really excited now. Um, and this has been an absolutely fantastic interview. I thank you so much. Um, for my last question, I just want to ask you, what is your kind of you know pie in the sky vision for the future? What would you like to see? Are there particular research projects? Are you focused on um, more awareness efforts, more community building, all of the above? I guess what is um, what are you envisioning these days? Well, um, one of the hopes for the Twitch team growing is it's not just, uh, as we discussed, a great tool for zebras, because although most of my followers are zebras, there's plenty that aren't. And so what is a better educational tool for the non-zebras to learn a bit about what we're going through and like... Uh, a fun manner for them too, than watching the stream, hearing a bit of my story because it's uh, included in like the kind of profile of my account. And then there'll be zebras in the audience with the non-zebras watching the stream together. And they'll be communicating, communicating with not just me, but with each other. And so um, 
it's it's awesome to see those conversations happening uh as the stream is live and it's sometimes it's you know only zebras watching sometimes it's non zebras but it's the most fun when it's both of them together and th that's an important connection as well but in terms of uh other other things rather than like those projects growing because those projects a lot of them have only been started quite recently another one is um i there's a there's a group uh i made as as a member of EDS Canada, where I'm a senior administrator for them and they're Canada's premier organization for people with EDS. And uh, the when I kind of met them in person uh, very many years ago, uh, before the pandemic and everything, they were shocked when I came into the room, we were attending a EDS support group and it was my first time going. And that's just because of my gender. And so they, uh, you know, immediately kind of made a great connection with me and asked if I'd be interested in uh, forming a support group for Facebook for, for just men with EDS, just because the, the many of the support groups are almost entirely women, which may make some men feel a bit uncomfortable with sharing mm -hmm. certain certain problems mm -hmm. and so this is the perfect opportunity for them where um they don't need to feel potential embarrassment or what whatever uh problems might arise um so i hope that these various projects can continue to grow because it's really a more the merrier in my mind um, definitely and for research i of course like so many others am excited that they're making progress on discovering the causative genes pathogenic genes for hypermobility type um, i totally understand why so much of the focus has been on vascular type which is so deadly but it's going to help so many people when they're um able to discover that gene and make the diagnosis process a lot more streamlined. And I'm also in more of a sci-fi far future uh, dream fantasy. I'm excited for when I'm sure one day they're going to figure out how to objectively measure pain. And can you, can you imagine what a boon that would be to so many of us where they just like mm -hmm. can mm -hmm. instantly, like, I don't know, look at your brain waves or something and tell how much pain you're in and then not a single person would ever doubt you again and they'd be shocked and appalled at disbelieving you for even a single second because they may not even you know um disbelieve that you're in pain but they may not understand the extent and even more not understand the unpredictability of it that it's mm -hmm. going to be a day by day fluctuating problem and uh it's it's so nice to have those days where you have more energy and spoons than most other days but it can really lead you to overdo it on those days and then knock yourself out of commission for the next week and absolutely um, and i 
Yeah, and people see and, us on those days when we do have a few spoons, so we're out. So they see the the relatively good side of this, and and they don't really see the part, you know, the, the the days after the delayed onset muscle soreness, the consequences of all that. Definitely, it's um, it's so it's I think it's a beautiful because... dream. Yeah, I I know it seems a little, yeah. It's tough because the people kind of it's it's a trap because people will criticize you maybe for not doing enough, not at all understanding how you're feeling but mm-hmm. from a physical standpoint, but then that will urge you to overdo it on the days that you're capable of doing it, mm-hmm. and then they raise their expectations, but you've just learned a lesson that you overdid it. And so it's like you can't win is uh, for with some people. And I think that over time, there's going to be less of that. And I'm optimistic about it. Absolutely. I think you you just summed that all up um, so well. Um, It does often feel like we can't win. And that's a really defeating negative place to be in and and that itself can lead to sort of depressive symptoms um and and i just i think it's amazing that you're doing so much to you know create and build communities and raise awareness and i loved what you said the more the merrier that it's great when you have zebras and non-zebras in conversation because we ultimately do exist in um the larger world and um, I, I also dream of a day when we can be understood for who and what we are and that we're a, a very complex set of um, some really amazing qualities and some really challenging obstacles. But when we have proper support, um, we, we, we have a lot to give. Or I think um, there's a lot of good in this community and I'm consistently struck by how thoughtful and sensitive and emotionally um, just knowledgeable and intuitive people with EDS are. And, um, and yet we're often sort of compelled to um, kind of hide away when we are not doing so well because of shame and all kinds of complex emotions. And I think you're just doing such a wonderful job to, to disentangle that and, and to create a future where we can, live more comfortably in our own skin. That's exactly the way I feel about the future as well. Well, it was so fantastic talking to you today, Mitch. Thank you so much for your time. We're so excited for your documentary to come out. Um, It was an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you again. It was an honor and hopefully we'll maintain this connection and maybe even uh, work together on many projects in the future. Absolutely. I look forward to working with you further. Um, Well, that's all for this episode of the Hypermobility Happy Hour. As always, you can email us at hypermobilityhappyhour at gmail.com with any feedback, comments, questions, suggestions for future episode topics. Um, And thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.